This Westwards mini masterclass is a production of Westwards, the Western Sydney Literature Organisation. For more information on Westwards and what we do, please go to westwards.com.au. Welcome to today's mini masterclass from Westwards. My name is James Roy. Ordinarily, I would be hosting this podcast, but today I am going to step into the uh, the chair of the person doing the presenting. I'm a writer of 35 books for young people. I've presented to schools and, and conferences and so forth for, for or 25 years or thereabouts, uh, and I've done this a few times. So I, what I thought I'd do today is share a couple of my best tips for making sure that the manuscript that you get to your publisher is the best it can be, and to your editor for that matter. That's why it's called editing before the editor, because I think that your editor is is a great person. No, in fact, your editor is almost your best friend as a writer, because they are the person who sits back at a bit of a distance, looks at your work and goes, this is how I think this can be made better, because you tend to get too close to your work as a writer. You can spend so much time with your head down working on something that you fail to see the shortcomings, you fail to see the flaws. It's a bit like having a kid. Uh, nobody can ever tell you that your kid's done something horrible. You'll try and defend your child to the to the hilt, even though maybe your child is actually kind of horrible. And you need that person to stand back and go, no, no, hang on. Everything isn't perfect. This is how I think it can be better. And they can say that without fear or favour. But having said that, you want to get your best work to the editor. You want to take away all the extra stuff they don't need to do so they can really get into the nuts and bolts of what they need to help you with. So what I've got today is a number of fairly short points, just looking at the way you can work on your manuscript before it goes to anyone, a publisher or editor or anyone, to make sure that what you are sending them is the best it can be. And then once it gets sent to the editor in a much cleaner form, then they can go, right, now let's look at things like structure, character, is this the best character, is this the, is this the best point of view, is this the best... Um, position for your for your narrator and so forth all those more important or more technical aspects of the story and the editing process can then be dealt with because all the other extraneous stuff is out of the way so let's get into them so the first thing I'd say is make sure you've got the right tools. Now, I have said for many years that if you are going, I, I have to have a better computer to do this, I have to have a better word processor, then you're actually trying to find reasons not to write. And I, I kind of stand by, I do stand by those, by that opinion. But at the same time, have the best tools that you can possibly have for the job at hand. Now, I personally use a word processor called Scrivener. Now, this isn't paid, this endorsement isn't paid for by Scrivener, it isn't a uh, an endorsement that I give freely. Um, but Scrivener is a fantastic word processor that's just a, just a little bit better for writers than your um, your regular word or whatever. And I'll talk a little bit more later on about why that is, why I think Scrivener is better. But for, for now, I'll just say that the fact that it is written, it is created by writers for writers, and it allows you to move scenes around rather than go searching through scrolls of pages and pages of text uh, makes it really good for a writer. It, it kind of, writers think differently from business people, whereas word processes like Word are created for people who are writing business reports and that sort of thing. So we'll come back to that in a minute. But get the best tool that you can really manage or you can afford. 
And I often say this to young people in workshops. They come in for a writing workshop and they come in with a little tiny notepad like you'd get at the $2 shop, this little tiny thing. And they sit there and they, they've got their head down and they're writing in little tiny letters on these little tiny pages. And I always say, have you got something bigger? Have you got A4 or even just half of an A4, but something bigger so you can actually just write bigger, just expand, just, just scrawl, be a little bit more free in the way you approach your writing because really that writing point is just getting the ideas down. And so if you're going to just be writing in a way that allows you to flow, then do it on something that allows you to flow. Don't, don't constrict yourself this little tiny thing. Writing on your phone, yeah, people do this all the time. I know people write on their phones on the train and, and so forth. And maybe that's the way you prefer to write because if you're young, maybe that's the way, main way that you communicate with people is texting. But it does constrict you. I really believe that. So get the best tools you can. So the next point I'd make is that um, when you have written that first big text, the first big document, that great scrawl of text, it might be 10,000 words, might be 1,000 words, it might be 100,000 words. It's time to do something that writers used to do back in the day, as they say. Because word processes have made it. I know I've just talked about how having a good word processor is not critical, but it's important. Back in the day when people were using, first of all, just handwriting and there were no typewriters and then there were typewriters. And of course, the thing about a typewriter is as you type in, it doesn't, you can't go back and fix it. You can, I mean, you can, there were ways of doing it with, with Typex paper and so forth. But really, once you type that out, that was it. And you couldn't submit that to a publisher. You had to go through and, and refine it. And I think that has been largely lost because people now go, well, two things. First of all, they go, we're just putting this on the page and I'm done now. It's time to move on. And this is part of the age we live in is doing things first, getting templates. We, we love our templates. We go to a, a, a graphic design website and we get the template and then all we have to do is change the words. And, and so I, I think that that going back and, and rewriting and, and rechecking has been somewhat lost. We've become lazy. And I understand that. We're all like this. But I think that there is something to be said for that process of going back to what you've written and rewriting it. And when I say rewrite, I literally mean rewrite. I'm not talking about printing it off and then making the changes with a red pen and then going back and make, fixing those changes. Sure, there is a time for that. But I think if you're really serious about this, and I, I don't, I'd suggest that you just try this. If you're at home and you are writing, just try this. Just maybe 500 words, 1,000 words. Take that take that document, make the mark, print it off. It's really important to print it out, I think. Don't just work off the screen. Print it out. I know we're trying to save the planet, but it's a couple of sheets of paper. Just do it. Just print it out, go through with a red pen, mark it up. And when you've marked it up, then go back and rather than just making those changes, type the whole damn thing in again. Now, I say this from experience because one of my first, it was my third book, Captain Mac. Captain Mac was when I first uh, wrote Captain Mac. The first uh, draft of this was, I think, um, 45,000 words, something like that. And I sat down and I printed it off and I went through and I made all the marks. And then I was about to go through and make my changes. Now, I was very inexperienced, but I had this sense that there was something more I needed to do. So at this point, I selected the document captainmac.doc on my computer and I hit delete. 
My computer didn't believe me. My computer said, are you sure you want to delete Captain Mac dot doc? And I went, no, not really. But yes, so I hit yes. And it was gone. In a blink of an eye, it was gone. Now, these days, I'd probably keep a backup somewhere. But back then, I didn't because I had it on on the page. The, the, the pages were printed off. I had my words. I couldn't submit them because at that stage, we were still submitting by mail, like actual in a postbox kind of mail. But what I did was go back and take those pages and put them to my left on my desk and start typing again. I typed every word of that book in. I did this four times. By the time I got to the fourth time, I didn't have 45,000 words anymore. I didn't have 50,000 words. I didn't have 60,000. I didn't have 80,000 words. I actually had 32,500 words. I'd actually lost almost 30% of my document, of my, of my book had gone. Because I had found a way through this process of typing in again to just go, is there a better way I can say this? Is this necessary? Because we're, I'm an essentially a lazy person. Doesn't sound like it from this, but I am. I don't want to type in more words than I have to type in. So this forced me to find a more economical, a more uh, poetic, if you like, a, a more concise, a more condensed way of saying what I needed to say without all the extra stuff. So just try it. Promise me you'll just try it. Just take something you've written, print it off, make those changes, be savage, make the changes on the page with a pen, with a real actual pen, and then sit down and type that thing in again from scratch. And I promise you that you will find that your work, that second draft, is better. And just on that, and this isn't really part of the editing thing, but just as a part of this, just to finish this point, if you're not sure about whether something is working well as a past tense or a present tense, switch it around and just try a section that is, is done in the other style and just see if that works because there are advantages and disadvantages to working in different voices, different narrative positions and so forth and sometimes the only way you'll know is by experimenting and trying but we're kind of getting away from our main topic here which is how we edit before we get it to the editor because really what we're trying to do here is we're trying to get inside the head of someone who isn't us we're trying to get inside the head of the person who is reading this w work for the first time and you want it to be as good as it can be the other thing the next thing i'd say is that it's important after we've had a rewrite to put it aside for a while. Let's put it aside. It might only be a few days. It might be some, in some cases, it might be a week or, or six weeks or whatever. But we, and I fell into this trap for a while when I was writing a lot that I was finding uh, that I was writing for the next advance. And so I probably wasn't putting things aside for as long as I should have. And so I was, I felt it with a couple of books that I could have gone, waited a little bit longer and come up with a better final product. Once you put it aside for a while and you're ready to come back to it, here's what I recommend you do. After your rewrites um, exercise that we talked about, and you've done that with the whole book perhaps, listen aloud. Now, I didn't say read aloud. I said listen aloud. And here's, the, here's why. If you have somebody sitting there reading your work to you, you will hear things in that text that you did not hear yourself. Because when we read our own work, we put our own inflections in, we bring our own understanding we look at a sentence, we go, that makes perfect sense. But in actual fact, it may not. And often the only way you can really hear that something is clunky or that a word is overused or that a sentence isn't clear or who is speaking isn't clear in your dialogue lines or whatever, the only way to do this often is to hear somebody else read them. Now, those of us who are fortunate enough to have had books published as, e as uh, audio books, 
know what it's like to hear somebody read our words and go, no, 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 hang on. That's not how that was written. Surely not. That doesn't make any sense. And you go back and check it. It's exactly how it was written. And so it's really important that we, I think, I feel that we give it to somebody and let them read it to us. Now, as I say, I, did, I know this from personal experience with my book, Ichabod Heart and the Lighthouse Mystery, which is about 180,000, 100,000, something like that. My friend Shannon came up and he sat at my desk and I sat in my comfy chair in my study and he read my entire book to me. Now, it, it took two days to do. And I didn't stop him. I didn't ask him to wait. I just sat there with the, the document on my lap in, in, in page form and I, with a pen, and when I heard something that didn't quite work or I had an issue about it, I just made a mark and I, I made a note and came back. And it's, a, it's remarkable how hearing someone else speak and read your word or hearing someone else read your words just helps you notice things that need to be addressed. And I know that people like, um, there, there are writers who go out into the outside and read their work aloud. And when the character shouts, they shout. When the character whispers, they whisper. It's really good to hear your words read to you. And, and screenwriters and, and playwrights know this. To get, they always have a, a, a copy of the script in front of them when they have a read through because they want to hear what those words sound like out loud rather than just in their head. You know that thing they say? Well, that sounded better in your head, didn't it? Yeah, it almost certainly does. Next one I want to uh, talk about is look for the hook. We're all looking for that killer first line. We all want that killer first line. Of course we do. And we don't know where we're going to find it, so we're going, oh, is this... And we're trying to come up with it. Well, I've got some really happy news for you. It's probably already there. It's probably buried somewhere in there. Because something that we like to do as writers is preamble. We go on in some in some kind in some genres. This is called a prelude or a, a prologue. But we do like to just ramble on and set it up. This is me. This is my story. This is what happened. Blah blah blah. And then we get into the story with that first big line. But by that stage, the reader's going, "Yeah, get on with it. I I I, I want to be engaged." And I have to say, in the in the last few years, I've noticed with a lot of a lot of books for young people that I've been reading, it feels like they don't really get going until maybe page 30, 40, 50. And then I'll come across a line, I go, this should have been your first line. This is where the story should have started. And I'll give you an example from my own work because I know this is a good example because it's, it's bothered me ever since it happened. Again, Ichabod Hart and the Lighthouse Mystery. It was written in a Dickensian kind of voice, uh, deliberately, because I wanted... It, it's steampunk, so I kind of wanted to have that older-style voice. And it started like this. I'm not reading it. I'm trying to... I'm saying it off the top of my head because my, my copy is buried somewhere. But it starts out something like this. My name is Ichabod Hayes Hart, and this is my story. What I mean is that this is a story that happened... Partly to me and partly to my best friend, Clementine Arabella Oakes, and her, and her uncle, Ulysses Rutherford Marshall of the, of the Highland Battalion. I have no mother. And then he goes and talks about his mother. And he talks about where he lives. And he lives in this house 
in a lighthouse on top of a hill in what is now known as Port Stephens, and it's alternate history. But it, it, I've got about eight pages there of him setting the scene for where he lives and who he is and the society in which he lives, which is all good. Like I signed off on this. I actually agreed that this was the best place to start this book, and my publisher agreed, and that's how it came out. And I don't think it was the worst decision, but it could have been, there could have been a better decision, and it's this. Because the beginning of the, the second chapter starts with these words. I recall well the day that Clementine came to my lighthouse. Now that first line, if that had been the first line, raises all sorts of questions in the reader's mind. He lives in a lighthouse? Who's Clementine? Why was it such a momentous event when she appeared? And all that stuff that you've got in that first eight pages where you're talking about this, that and the other thing and where he lives and so forth, all of that can be drip-fed into that story as we as we go in we don't need to be told all that stuff up front it's not like friday by rebecca black where she spends all that time telling you about her breakfast it's not like star wars with that screed of of words going across the screen saying far far away in a a galaxy far far away blah 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 we don't need all that because all that stuff can be drip fed into the story and that's part of being a good writer part of crafting your story is doing that stuff i remember uh talking to some students about this in in Fremantle a few years ago at the Literature Centre there. And we had all these young people who'd been working all day or for a couple of hours writing some stuff. And we wanted as many people as possible in this group to share something they'd written because I think it's important that as a writer we we get to share what we've written. That's partly why we do it. And I remember one girl, She we said, you know, if anybody wants to share something, just read a couple of lines that you've written that you're really happy with. And she stood up and she flicked through her page and she was going, oh, hang on, oh, it's all this stuff, I don't know what to read, I'll, I'll, I'll just read this. And she went to the middle of a page and she wrote this, and she read this line. Anyway, back to what I was saying about angry mothers. And I stopped her and I said, that's the first line of your story. And she said, no, no, there's all this other stuff before. And I said, I, I, I don't care. This is... Um, this is the beginning of your story because now we've got questions and you haven't spent all that time preambling about who you are and, and why you're having a fight. This is a moment when we go, right, I've got questions right now. So I guess what I'm saying here is if you've got a big block of text and you're going, I need to get that first hook, that first great line, just read through that, that text and just read line by line and just go, what if that was my first line? What if that was my first line? And then you'll find one that'll, that will jump out at you and you'll go, that's, uh, that's it. I mean, some of the great novels of the, uh, in literature start with killer great lines. I mean, there was a Yossarian from Catch-22 who, from the moment he met the uh, chaplain, he fell deeply in love with him. There's, uh, of course, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. There's so many great first lines. And it, you've, you've got one too, it's just buried somewhere perhaps. To come back to the word processor thing, be really careful of your spell checker and your grammar checker because your spell checker isn't as smart as you think it is. All it does is just goes through the list of words that it has in its dictionary and checks that any of the words in your manuscript, in your document, are actually real words and if they're spelt correctly. But that doesn't account for homonyms. Uh, they're, they're, in, they're everywhere. Just be a little bit careful of those. Your, your and your, they're there and there. And people will go, well, what about 
your grammar checker. Yeah, be careful with your grammar checker as well because your grammar checker is designed to uh, help you write a business report or a paper. It's not necessarily designed to help you write literature because literary writing plays around with things like unreliability and passive sentences and and so forth so just be a little bit careful of that green squiggly line in your spell checker that says in your grammar checker that says this is passive sentence or this is incomplete sentence consider reviewing there are all sorts of things like that that your grammar checker isn't really equipped to do now to come back to uh scrivener which i mentioned earlier as i said the reason scrivener i think is so good and there are other word processes like it but it seems to be the one for me that ticks most of the boxes is that it allows you to write, as I said, it allows you to write in scenes, scene by scene. And then you can put each of those scenes, they all go down one side of the, of the document. You can drag and drop them into different orders. And you, just have, and you can have little index cards for each scene. Then you can look at them on a corkboard and you can see, you can colour code them and you can see the exact uh, layout of your story. You can see what needs fixing. And, and if one character is getting too much attention or not enough not enough attention, the B story, the A story, all of that stuff is quickly and visually represented, which makes it good for people like myself who sometimes need the visual representation to really understand what's going on. You can still do all the regular stuff that you do with any other word processor. It's still got the spell check and the grammar checker and and find, replace and all those sorts of things and all the, all the formatting and it, and it formats into final draft mode and PDF and um what's it called true text or simple text whatever it's called so um it's free to actually try it for 30 days and it's a full version so go to literatureandlatte.com literatureandlatte.com and download scrivener for i think it's on pc and mac and i think it's even on ipad now um and just have a play because i think you'll find that it's a really useful tool so i tend to use scrivener to write my my books on my 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 work and then once i've got the structure settled then i move it over to word and that's where i do my final um my final proofing and so forth because it speaks it speaks the same language as uh what the publisher's speaking so then you can do the track changes and all that stuff i do that out of word but anyway that's that's an, another conversation so that's really kind of it i think that editing is there's plenty of time for the other stuff in the editing with the uh, with the editor, but getting a nice clean document to someone, one that actually holds together, and is the best representation of what you can achieve up to that point, I think is really important. So just to go over those again, use the best tools you've got at your disposal. You wouldn't turn up to a Formula One race in a mini when you've got access to a Formula One car. It's probably a pretty clumsy analogy, but I think I think it holds together rewrite don't be frightened to go back and rewrite that work try something different put it aside for a while get someone who you trust to listen to to read your work to you while you listen it's all very well to read to your mum we've all done it we've all read to our mum and gone mum listen to this thing that i've just written you know what mum's always going to say honey that's that's magnificent you're the best no it's probably not magnificent and you may not be the best yet so what you need is some honesty someone who can go I love this, I love that, but I wasn't sure about this. That didn't make sense to me. And sometimes the best person to make that call is you if you're listening to it yourself. 
And I guess that's the other thing I'd say about editing and, and about writing practice in general is find someone you trust. Find a writer's group. Find someone who can give you honest advice without just sort of fluffing your pillows, if you like. You need someone who is going to be honest with you without tearing you down. Look for the hook. It's buried in there somewhere. Be, be careful of your spell checker and your grammar checker. And that's kind of it. Oh, I'll, actually, I'll add one more thing. Time management. There's a different kind of time management between when you're writing and when you're editing. Because often when you're writing, you can set yourself a number of words. Today I'm going to write a thousand words. Today I'm going to write two thousand words. Because you know that if you set yourself that limit, if you takes you to if it takes you till two in the morning, well that's your fault. You've got that many words that you have to write. Whereas if you in that at that creative stage, I'm only speaking for myself, but at that at that creative stage, if I say I'm going to write for three hours today, I can find any number of ways to fill those three hours that don't actually involve putting any words on the page. I call it research. But but uh once you get to the editing, so I always set myself a word quota when I'm writing the first draft and, and, and actually getting the words down. But later on, it becomes a different thing. When I'm editing, I tend to use an app called Pomodoro, which is a 25-minute timer. You can get it on your phone or wherever. 25 minutes, and you can't reset that. You just start it, and you go, you go, you go hard for 25 minutes. You do your editing. You can do almost anything for 25 minutes. You do that for 25 minutes and after 25 minutes your the app goes bing. You've got five minutes to do anything else. Run to the bathroom, make a coffee, play a song, sing a song, write a song, lie in the sun, have a nap, but you're going to do it for five minutes and then bing, it goes again and you're back into it. Check it out. And it's amazing how much work you can get through. If it's stuff that requires you to just sit down and go through something solidly, and something that may be seen by some as a little bit boring, that's a good way to do it. You can get through anything in 25 minutes. Speaking of 25 minutes, it's actually a smidge over 25 minutes now since I started talking, so it's probably time for me to stop. If you have any questions at all about any of the things we've talked about today, if you want to know what Westwords is on about, uh, go and check out westwords.com.au, look at the support that we have for writers and artists, and uh, until next time, happy creating. Happy creating.